Welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today are Caroline Golden and Derek Owens. Caroline is an artist and Derek is a writer and an artist. Their collaborative work of fables, Villages, is out in February from Animal Heart Press. Welcome to the show, Caroline and Derek. Thank you. Nice to be here. Can we start with Villages? It's a beautiful book of collages with accompanying fables. Caroline, you did the collages and Derek, you wrote the fables. How did the project get started, Caroline? Um, well, I, um, I've always been interested in, in fairy tales and I had... Uh, completed a huge series based on Alice in Wonderland that, that my pieces that were comprised of hundreds and hundreds of elements. And once that series was over, I gave myself a um, sort of an assignment to create collages only using five elements at most. And I was, as I said, I was always intrigued by fairy tales and wondered about the supporting cast members of these stories that you never hear about. And so I started creating these um, quirky little characters and they're all mounted, they're portraits in essence, and they're mounted on vintage uh, uh, leather, leather book covers. Um, there's a wonderful shop where I get them. And some of the covers are like 150 years old. So they made the perfect stages for these, for these portraits. And originally I thought I was going to write about them. And, but I never got around to it. So these pieces were uh, created in 2009 and did not see the light of day until uh, spring of 2020 when um, you know, we were shut down with the uh, COVID pandemic. And uh, my nephew's prompting said that uh, I should have something that I should be posting on Instagram. He's been helping with my marketing. And so to appease him, I said, okay, I'll show this older work. No one's seen it before. And I started posting it on Instagram. And that's when Derek saw them. They're quite quirky collages, aren't they? Like, could you tell us a bit more about how you made them and I guess what they look like? So, well, the thing that um, uh, is, is very interesting describing my work when people can't see it. So I'm known as all my, all my collages are, are hand cut. Nothing is done in the computer. Um, I have hundreds and hundreds of old books and magazines in my studio, and that's my source material. And um, when I cut out an image um, and I'm going to use it, I mount it on museum board and I cut it out and I bevel the edges and I make the elements. So if I'm making something that looks like a hat, when the images, when the sides are beveled and I paint them, I want it to look like it's a hat, even though the photograph itself that I cut out might be a rock or a leaf. I want it to resemble a hat. It's very important for for me to make my work look as as alive as animated as as real as possible even though there it's a very surreal image that you're taking in so the villagers are comprised of of five elements so it's usually a face and the face could be a vase it could be a, a picture of a boulder it could be a a pot and then i find something that looks like eyes or something that could be a hat or something that could look like hair and so they're very, very dimensional. And they actually are popping off the, um, the vintage book cover. So they look like they could really just leap right off the page. 
<laughs> I and like so making things that if you see them out of the corner of your eye, like, you know, when you think you've seen something out of the corner of your eye, and you're like, what was that? Like, yeah. that's the way I wanted these characters to look. And so Derek, at what stage did you get involved in this project? This was in the early stages of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, like, like people everywhere, it was just such a weird time. Everything seemed hushed and quiet. Um, and kind of creepy and, and scary and, and nerve wracking. But at the same time, at least for me out here in the suburbs of Long Island, quiet and calm and, and you know, just doing my own work and taking walks and not seeing humans. <laughs> and it was a very, it was, it was that isolated, quiet, somewhat nervous, somewhat relaxed at the same time state of mind, at least for me here. And, uh, and then I was, uh, I, I came across one of uh, Caroline's works, which actually wasn't part of the villagers. It was a different work of a kind of a, a building and a castle like scene. And it just got the idea of, I, I would love to write an accompanying piece for that. And so I sent it to her and she liked it. Um, and then that's when the, the whole villagers came. I said, you know, I have these, <laughs> I have these humans here, or these people, these homunculi or whatever they are, you know? And so she sent me those images and it was, I, I really, I think I do best when I'm responding to something else. It's why I'm drawn to collage and found materials and found texts, whether it's in the poetry or something else. And, and the idea of collaborating with somebody, or even if it's riffing off of what something somebody else has done, just really kind of gets me going. And so it was, it was a, it was pretty easy. It was, it was kind of surprisingly fluid just to look at one of these images and I would take a walk and I would think about it and whatever popped into my head I would record it into my phone a little bit think about it before going to bed and then then write it the next morning um and I think one of the things that drew me in particular to these to Caroline's villagers is that they're all these busts these these portraits of a sort but many of them don't have facial features or they have a, a few select facial features but there's an ambiguity about them and it got me thinking a lot about like well who is this person how do I climb into this this entity and so a, a number of the stories of the fables, we use that term as just kind of a, an umbrella term for the work. A number of them, actually, I didn't realize this at the time, but going back, there's a lot of references to being inside of somebody's head or thinking about thoughts and stuff like that. So, <laughs> um, so the, yeah, the actual, and, and the, they are very quirky uh, collages and there's something kind of at once um, whimsical and sweet and silly about some of them. And there's also kind of a, a sinister uh, element to some as well. And I like that, that combination, that um, kind of like salt on the chocolate kind of, <laughs> kind of combination. So, and that just helped me with the writing of them. They are really interesting pieces. And it's funny, you both obviously work in collage quite a bit because I feel like that, that is kind of riffing off other material a lot of the time. So it's interesting you say that. So it's interesting to hear you say, Derek, about getting inside their head, because that was one of the very strange things for me in this whole process. You know, when I work alone in my studio and create things, you know, uh, pieces that go into a gallery or, you know, to a museum, it's I let the other person look at it. They, I can share some of my story with them, but it's really more important that when you look at my work, you find a way in. 
-hmm. When I started sending these images to Derek, what was particularly frightening for me was I felt he was actually getting into my head. And so it's so funny, Derek, that you you said that because it never occurred to me that that's really what what you were doing. So it was an interesting process from that that point of view. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> the psychoanalytical implications are pretty fun to think about, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, and like you, you mentioned too, Caroline, that you've always been interested in the idea of the portal. And that's mm -hmm. something that's for me, you know, the, in terms of my artwork and, and the writing. And and I, I jumped on this. I found this word that I use to describe or at least be a, a kind of marker for a lot of the stuff I do. It's portalage, which is this archaic old timey word which referenced uh, referred to the making of portals. So if you were somebody who made portals, you were engaging in portalage, which is not a word that's really used anymore. But I thought this is exactly what. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so there was and so there, that interest in fairy tales and myths and going from one realm, one realm into another is very much all about that. But also the idea of just trying what's going on inside of that person's head. I can't really know, but I'm going to construct something anyway and play this game. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, you know, kind of enticing way of thinking about it. When you were creating these collages, Carolyn, did you have stories in mind? Did you have these characters in mind or was it a more visual process for you? Uh, it was it was a combination. When I first started them, it was strictly visual. And then um, as I kept making them, because there's 37 in all in the book. And then we found, I found one straggler in my uh, flat file. Um, and he's now a part of a, a postcard that will go for the book. So I have 38 of these. And um, as I, as I was making them, I realized that I was setting them up on this miniature, this miniature stage of a book cover. And I myself have performed, I was an improv troupe when I was younger. So the idea of getting up on stage and telling your story in um, sharing in a narrative is is very near and dear to my heart, even if you're taking on the persona of another character. And so, as I was making them, I kept thinking about the supporting cast in these in these tales. And the reason why the names, you know, they're not Timmy and Tommy and Sue. It's the the fairy dust. It's the itinerant. It's the town crier much the way in fairy tales that it's the king, the queen, the prince, the princess. By being so generic, it allows the reader to actually don their slippers and kind of ease into that, that world of enchantment. So that's why all the characters are just named that. There's really no more personalization. So they really do allow for, for the reader to, or the viewer to sort of step into them. And in this process, Derek, when you were looking at the pictures, did you speak to Carolyn during that process or did you just go on your own and, and just keep on working through them? No, I didn't. They were, I would release them, you know, in little, like, here's one, here's three, you know, with my fingers crossed that she wouldn't think, what the hell are you doing? This is just all wrong. But fortunately, um, and in fact, there was some interesting, I'll let Caroline tell this story. There's, there's one, a couple in particular where there was uh, some weird kind of um coincidences between like the sister and the brother and the teeth and stuff like that but um no i i didn't uh, it, and and i think for me it's a two-way kind of street there's this getting inside the head of the image but of course it's it's wholly reciprocal it's me pulling out all my 
various fetishes and so forth. And um, but yeah, the process of uh, of looking at these is very much um, it's it's just like getting lost in the woods. It's like you wander into the woods, and where's this path going to take me? And is it and like look what's around that corner? What's over there? Sometimes I would start writing in a direction and you feel like, wait a second, this is the wrong path. This is too predictable or too trite. Or let me let me back up, try again. And then like, oh no, there's another path I missed through the weeds over here. Let me, and then it's just, you know, feeling like, oh, okay, this, this finished. I knew I didn't want to make, there's one, the, the longest one is I think four or five, five pages, something like that. But, but the shortest ones are a few paragraphs. And so I was working within that kind of micro or flash fiction kind of, you know, framework, the short, short, more or less, which I like that, that space. So. What were those coincidences, Carolyn? <laughs> <laughs> well, there were, there were a few of them. There's, there's one that the, the sister and the brother, um, uh, I have two, I have two younger brothers and um, I didn't, when I originally named them or they came to be these characters um, in a very general way, Derek was able to almost pick up, like not to sound too woo woo about this, but almost like the vibrations of what I, um, what I had put into the work when I was, when I was making it, when I realized what I was making. Um, and the, the other brother is, he's, he's made of wood. He's all pieces of photographs of, of wooden dowels. And, um, and so it really does speak to Pinocchio and, and the idea of what we, you know, what we feed into these other people in our life. So yeah, Derek, Derek really nailed the, uh, nailed that one. Um, and there are a few others that he just, when I read the stories, uh, I was like, wow, he really got that. And by the way, and Derek, this, I don't know if I've ever told you. And so this is, uh, this is definitely a beyond the, the zero exclusive. When Derek started sending me the stories, I read a few sentences of them, but I was kind of afraid to read them because I was like, well, I don't know, like, yeah. what if I don't like them? Or he's gotten so close to the bone here on a couple of things. And so there was one day on uh, the summer when my husband and I decided we were just going to go to the beach and I printed out all the stories and I curled up in a, in a beach chair under an umbrella and I read all of them. And so my husband, who sometimes can go a little dark, looked at me and saw I was busy reading them, but he noticed I had tears streaming down my face and under my sunglasses. And he said, oh, they're that bad. <laughs> and the reason I was crying was because they were that good. And I can't tell you how, as an artist creating these, these pieces, to have someone really understand them and to reintroduce me to something. I don't have children of my own, but I, I felt it was like maybe the way a parent feels when their child begins to speak and they have something to say. I mean, it was, it was a very profound experience so uh there was not one story that i felt was was wrong or missed the mark it uh it it's, i'm thrilled i'm thrilled that we, we we've done this collaboration yeah me too and that's a great story and i guess yeah i've always wanted to write something that would be good beach reading that made people cry at the same time. <laughs> Perfect combination, yeah. <laughs> Light beach reading that'll put me to tears. Right. 
<laughs> well, it wasn't the story that made me cry. Oh, I know. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> I like your husband's response to that. Like, oh dear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done? With the fables, they seem to cross cultures and traditions. Are there some traditional fables or fairy tales that you base these stories or the portraits on? We'll start with you, Derek. That's a good question. You know, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm not that I can think of. I mean, I'm immersed in all kinds of, you know, reading fables from when I was little and, you know, in contemporary and we can get into that a little bit later, but no, it was, um, I have to go through. I think, um, the only one that did that was actually the very first piece that I wrote for Caroline, which was not part of the villagers, but it was actually riffing off the Rumpelstiltskin fable and went off in that direction. And that was really fun, but it was also how I wanted to turn it on upside down and go in a totally different direction. So maybe that was a nice preamble for this whole exercise of coming up with brand new, you know, different pieces. But um, maybe there were times where I was probably maybe avoiding certain tropes that I felt were too obvious maybe, but um, I'll come back to that if I can think of them, but I can't think of any specific fairy tales or fables in mind, but there's probably lots of little ingredients floating around certainly. So, And Caroline, with your work, especially uh, some of your pieces that are really in-depth fairy tales with castles and, you know, those kind of things, were there some fairy tales that inspired you? Uh, for the series, The Villagers, no, it really was. Um, so when you talk about my work, really going into more of the fairy tales, um, and we can talk about this a little bit later about books that have inspired me. But um, to me, the, the the idea of the fairy tales sort of going into that enchanted elsewhere and that it, I always wanted to escape to that to that world it was never about you know being a princess or finding the happily ever after or the magic prince it was i just wanted to slip into that world and so in going into those worlds and thinking about who else would inhabit those worlds then it was you know like i mean i live in new york city so you think of all the characters i see that crazy guy that's always on the corner of 86th and second street there's the guy <laughs> That's in the deli shop that you see every day that you wonder about his story. There's the, the mailman. There's all these people that you just see in your, in, in your life, which, by the way, during the pandemic, they just weren't around. So I really missed seeing all those people, even though I couldn't really tell you even what their first names were. So the characters that I created in the village were those people that you would, I imagine, walking past if you were walking through the kingdom or out into the, to the forest. And they all had stories and they must have had even more incredible stories than the king, the queen, the prince, the princess. So that was that was really what I felt about them as I was I was creating them. And I really did want to know their stories. And now I do. <laughs> and the book does. It looks beautiful as well. I think it's just going to be one of those books that people give to each other for birthdays and Christmases and things like that for a long time. It's a beautifully put together work. So congratulations to both of you. Thank you. And that's Caroline. I mean, I, I wrote the stuff, but Caroline did all the design work. She put, you put in probably about 8,000 hours worth of labor, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and then some into just the formatting and the positioning and designing the entire project. So she did a, 
great work along with input from Amanda, uh, who is working with Animal Heart Press. And so, you know, it's, it's a really, yeah, you guys did splendid work on that. Thank you. My idea for the book was that I, I wanted it to be something that if you were going through an abandoned castle and you saw that one of the floorboards was was a, was a jar and you lifted it up, that this might be a small volume that you would you would find tucked away, a sort of a treasure. And the book is pretty close to that. Um, I didn't want to make it too small because then my work would be really tiny. But it's it is. Um, it's to me, it's that, that, that treasure, that, 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 that gem, it's an object as well as a book. Beautiful. Would you like to read us a piece from the book? Sure. So this is a uh, piece is called the prankster. So roughly most of them are more or less around this length. It's really just, you know, six paragraphs. So something like that. The prankster. By the time he'd ordered the fourth court jester drawn and quartered, this one's crime insufficient levity, the Comte de Saint-Dubertus had slid into a state of despondency so profound and dire, bottomless, many in the province feared he might well channel his cancerous melancholia across the land, laying waste to the livelihoods of a country all too accustomed to his fits of spleen, even when not visited upon by what he called the clotting gloom. He will drag us all down with him, the people whispered among themselves. The way the old kings were buried with their 10,000 servants, misery will demand its company. And so they sought a fix. Pulling together their resources, they employed a reclusive watchmaker and inventor of automata to fabricate a mechanized fool who might amuse the comte, lessening, if not removing entirely, his capricious agitations. Once the watchmaker had breathed life into my jangly little frame, the citizens were too nervous to deliver me to the comte themselves, and so their shiny new mannequin had to go knock on the man's door himself. Which I did. Boy, oh boy, did I make them proud. From the second he laid eyes on me, the comte's spirit seemed to lift. I opened with a clumsy saraband, tiptoeing about on my clinky brass feet like a drunkard as I grabbed hold of a footman, yanking down his pantaloons in the process. The comte clapped his hands. More, he demanded. So I dissected my body right down to the very gears and flywheels, then reassembled myself entirely, all while singing several of the bodier passages from one of Iario Cintavale's lesser-known libretti. I ended my audition by blowing an ensorceling song through the enchanted steam pipes in my ears, beguiling a family of mice to step out from behind a tapestry, whom I then led in a gay military parade. He was hooked. You could almost hear a collective sigh of relief ripple throughout the realm as the populace, sensing a new wave of calm dissipating from the palace, congratulated themselves on the success of their mechanical clown. Ah, but friends, here is the wrinkle. My electrochemical eyes, ever spinning, were fashioned by my watchmaker to effect a mild state of hypnosis upon the comte and lull him into a sustained condition of placidity. Yet in order to make this work, the comte's negative energy, an elixir quite indissoluble, had to be rerouted. It could not simply melt away. And so I, 
his little robot Harlequin became the sink. I absorbed the comp's baser impulses, my gyrating eyes swallowing his emotional depravities. These two whirlpools drew from the man the entirety of his wickedness, purifying his constitution, in effect neutering and converting him into a benign giggling shell while transforming me in the process. My eyes ate his evil is what I'm saying. And that evil, it festers now inside my innards, buried deep within the cogs and copper coils where it hums and pulses amidst these motors. The pressure mounts daily. The corruption can be contained for only so long. I know the inevitable outcome, have known it from my conception when my personal God, the watchmaker and assembler of automata, prankster extraordinaire, designed me with a single purpose, that I might soak up the comte's malicious essence every last drop and carry it back to my watchmaker father, safely ensconced in my dynamos and heat pumps, so that he might extract this rare effluvium and power newer machinations, far more infernal than any of the comte's whims. And when that happens, my citizenry, watch out. Wow, fantastic. I love the, the writing. It's such the style of the fable and this, that fairy tale kind of vibe to it is, is it really comes through. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. There Sorry. are several stories that when I read, I just didn't want them to end. And so I'm, 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 I'm going to see if I can talk Derek into doing maybe a, a, a sequel or, or a, oh, yeah. Yeah. A, a follow up on some of them. <laughs> I almost see this as it could be like an animation piece, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that yeah. would be a really interesting, like that story, especially like there's just so many animated elements to it that mm -hmm. I could see mm -hmm. working well. Oh, it would be perfect for that. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. But Caroline, you need to work on that. So that would be yeah. <laughs> I'm so on it. <laughs> make it so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about your gateways into the world of arts. So Derek, let's start with you. What were the experiences that drew you into the world of arts and books? From, from my dad uh, is uh, or was a, a high school art teacher and and my mother was always utterly absorbed and immersed in you know the world of my sister and I and so we had a really really fascinating childhood where they were devoting on us and my father had a big box of crayons which I had access to from I guess the age of three and I have I have all these, I have over 500 drawings and of, of monsters and creatures and weird dinosaurs and robots with googly eyes from mostly from the ages of like roughly around four and five, like some are like age three, but around four and five. And then, and then around the age of six, they start to get a little too cute and derivative. So I think my best, my, my, my best years were at the ages of four and five. And, but um, so there, I was just drawing constantly all this stuff and it's just one after another, one after another. And, and so that was a daily, practically a daily practice. Um, not that I remember doing that. I remember the box of crayons. I don't remember doing these drawings, but, um, and the other thing is just reading uh, this is a little, a little bit later, but I, I guess it was in, it was either first grade. I think it was second grade. And I remember reading these to my sister, who's two years younger, but it was um, Dolier, I think it's pronounced Dolier's um, Greek myths um, that illustrated 
version, which I had, and I just loved it. And I would just read those, you know, um, out loud. And and after that, it was, you know, among other things, I remember reading um, and just over and over a little collection of French Canadian folk tales. I think called the Golden Phoenix or something like that. I have a copy someplace around here, but and just remember, and actually would go out to the the woods and the river, not a block away from our house, and just sit there and read it and. So yeah, fairy tales and then science fiction later on and so forth. But up in, you know, and then um and then in college and grad school, it was a real shift to poetry and you know, Spanish surrealists and then later language poets and experimental poets and I can go into all that later if we if we have time. But uh um and then um and then uh, my son is 29 now, but when he was young, I I mean from I think the third day that he was on the planet, I just had a practice and my wife did too, but, but I would read to him daily. And then as he got older, it would be, you know, I'll read a book or two books and he would, he would say, no, we need three or five. And so it came, it became like a two hour practice most nights for a number of years and just reading Tolkien and skipping over all the elves singing because that gets like please enough of the elves singing but but you know you have to to make tolkien work you have to bounce around and like all right another five pages of like wandering through the sedge and the rain but anyway reading all the time that that pulled me i think maybe back into uh, a rekindled fascination with uh, prose poetry and fables and so forth and and i've been kind of immersed in that since so wow um, Carolyn, what about you? What drew you into the world of arts? Uh, well, like like Derek, um, it was a similar thing from a very very from a very very young age. Um, I think I can still remember getting my first box of sixty four Crayola crayons with sharpener and the excitement of popping oh, yeah. that lid off and seeing all those crayons so beautifully lined up. Um, I um, was always drawn from a very, very young age. Um, and I was very fortunate. My parents both, whether it was through coloring books or uh, paper, I, I, I remember one afternoon I ran out of coloring books. I used to have those 500 page coloring books. And my mother out of just, she had no more coloring books and gave me a notebook. And I actually still have the notebook where I would uh, <laughs> write a story and then have an illustration next to it. And I think I was about four or five when I did that. But one of the pivotal moments when I was a kid, my father um, was an artist and he also worked for IBM. He was one of the authors of the, their, one of their first books in Fortran. And he brought home, I must have been about four years old, a paper model of an IBM computer, which in those days would fit into a room. And I can still remember the crisp edges and the beautiful printing job and the fact that this piece of paper was this beautifully constructed piece of furniture, um, which I then put in my Barbie dream house, much to the, <laughs> much to the disdain of my father. <laughs> but it made a great table for Barbie. But I was, I was really taken by the fact that that sheet of paper could be, become something, something else. Um, and certainly as a, as a kid, I, I read my share of fairy tales. Um, but again, it was not, it was not about the happily ever after. I, I could just remember so, so clearly reading a story and wanting almost to, to find that magic space between the lines of text as though the lines of text in the book were a horizontal forest. 
that I wanted to get in between those lines and and go and explore and look at the look at what was going on, look for clues, the forensics of the story. Um, so I always wanted to be like an investigative reporter into the world of enchantment. And that um, this was all rekindled when I started doing um, uh, work uh, based on actually Alice in Wonderland, which I had, it was about 20 years ago, I had an exhibition. Um, and that brought me back into reading fairy tales in their original text and things I grew up with. Um, and so I've always been drawing, always making things, always drawing, always looking for that enchanted elsewhere. What are you currently working on? Right now, the villagers. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so, but now that now that this this is coming, now that it's going to be launched, um, it's it's really. Uh, smart, sparked my interest in in doing another book. Uh, one of the things that I, I did do, as I mentioned, I had an ex exhibition on Alice in Wonderland where I went and read uh, Alice's Adventures Underground, which is the, the actual story that Lewis Carroll uh, told Alice Adele. And I, in my mind, it's a better story than her adventures in Wonderland. Um, and I, it did not resonate with me as a child, but when I read it as an adult, it blew my mind. So I, I welcome your listeners to go back and, and look at that text. And I'd love to hear what people, what people think about it. Um, I would like to go back and revisit that story and create work from that. Um, my interest when I first read the book and did the story, did the exhibition for the story, was what Alice saw when she took the piece of cake and grew above the trees. What did she see when she looked down? So that's my interest is always a little, you know, I'm not looking to illustrate. I'm looking to experience what these, what, you know, these characters saw. So I'd like to, um, I'd like to get back to Alice. And I also would like to do animation and animate some of my work and some of the miniature realms that I've created. So Sounds that's, that's amazing. what, that's what's on tap. <laughs> Derek, what are you working on? I'm, I'm working on uh, among uh, several things. Um, one of the things I do, which I don't think a whole lot about, but it's more of a practice to turn off parts of my head and let other ones run rampant, I guess, but is a lot of the, the collage compositions and some of the multimedia work. I, I'm, I'm thinking more and more I'm moving into a direction where the work occupies a space somewhere in between poetry and art, I guess. So I've been working on a series of compositions, which I'm calling an essay. Um, even though there's no topic sentence, there's no, it's more of an essay, a visual essay of sorts in the original sense of Montaigne's an essay and a, just a wandering, but, but, I, and I'm, I've got some short pieces that I'm pulling out of a, of a novel that I'm fussing with, um, which have to do with, um, uh, witches or what I call hex biddies, which, and it takes place in a post-collapse, um, world of upstate New York and, uh, um, it, it's not apocalyptic in any sense, but it's it's more of a sense of where civilization we, as we know it is kind of, you know, gone by the wayside and suburbia has been, you know, the dream time comes back and a lot of the myths and so forth from way, way back in the day start percolating up to the surface. So like that. <laughs> so those are a couple I, of books. Yeah. I'm looking forward to reading that, Derek. Me too. I'm, <laughs> I've rewritten it so many times and now I'm not sure what to do with it. So yeah, but yeah, that's my, my big project now. 
We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero and come back with Caroline and Derek's Top Shelf. This week's episode is sponsored by Volmania, the new podcast from Ryan Alexander and Jordan Rothacker. It charts the work of William T. Volman. Their latest episode on an Afghanistan picture show is available now everywhere you get your podcasts. We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time for Caroline and Eric's Top Shelf. Yeah, I'll, um, the stuff that I'm, um, and I won't give you to, I was going through, you know, all the bookcases and there's so many different things. I thought I, what I would do is just focus on a couple things, not my favorites necessarily, but things that have inspired me, but also relate to the book, The Villagers. Um, one, um, and in no particular order, there's a book, this came out a while ago, but Lawrence Millman has a book called A Kayak Full of Ghosts, and they are his retellings of what he called Eskimo tales, although it'd be more appropriate to say Inuit or whatever, what other designation people themselves would use. But, but they're, they're just crazy. They're just, uh, oh, your viewers are just, you're not, you don't have viewers, you have listeners. So <laughs> they can hear me hold the book up. But, um, but yeah, A Kayak Full of Ghosts by Lawrence Millman is just some of the strangest, darkest, most surreal works. Russell Edson is somebody who influenced the hell out of me, especially when I just stumbled across him in, in uh, grad school. But the idea of prose, poetry, and fables, and and that he he has in common with Lawrence Millman's retellings, just the idea of uh, that, that that mixture of bizarre, silly, surreality with very dark <laughs> overtones, and there's how they kept kind of you know playing into each other. Um, there's a collection of short stories that I've returned to again and again. I don't know how she pronounces her first name. I guess it's Kidge, K-I-J, Johnson, but at the mouth of the river of bees. And it's a collection of stories, which I think are just absolutely wonderful because each one has a very distinct, very different kind of quality to it. And they're elements of fairy tale, surreal dream, some science fiction-y stuff in there, fantasy, um, but all with a very different kind of bent. She's just wonderful. And I guess the last book, there's a bunch of others, but the last book I will mention that I just keep going back to over and over and over. <clears throat> and I don't know how widely read it is. It's pretty much not, it's definitely not everyone's cup of tea. When I've, the few occasions I've taught that in some grad courses, very quickly, you know, you can tell like some people are like, I love this. And other people are like, why are you putting me through this, this suffering? But it's, uh, um, the book is Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban. And Russell Holbin is the guy who also has those children's books, Bedtime for Francis or something. I guess Francis was a badger or something. So he wrote all those. And I think they were illustrated by his wife at the time. But but Ridley Walker is a very different book. And it takes place millennia from now. And and the war, there's been the idea, I won't go into all, but the idea there was some kind of nuclear catastrophe, like around the 80s, I guess, when he's writing it. And so he projects about a thousand years into the future in England. And the, the English language has been, I wouldn't say corrupted, but it is devolved. And so the book is written in a kind of quasi-English. And it's this this lovely, mythical, dark, strange work. And and the whole thing was inspired kind of in a vision he had when he was looking at one particular painting and suddenly the whole idea for the book just smashed into his head. And but um yeah, Ridley Walker is is the book that I would encourage everybody to take a look at. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Okay. I guess the, there are a couple that um 
that I'm I'm focusing on a lot right now. A couple that I the, the stuff that I just read most recently, Carmen uh, Mercado's Her Body and Other Parties, which is just really strange and sexy and just a lovely collection of of work. And also um, Laird Hunt, uh, and I was reading this actually while I was writing the stuff for the villagers. His recent book Zori is just you know pretty remarkable and lovely. But the one I that really speaks to me the most of his works that I've read is uh, in the house in the dark of the woods. And it's more, you know, really fascinating witch stuff. And I obviously have a, a thing for witches and, um, uh, the, and, and actually I'm not a big reader of memoir, even though I wrote one uh, of sorts about my mother about 20 years ago. Um, but I just read uh, Jacob uh, Rabinowitz's uh, book, blame it on Blake, which is uh, um, just one of the loveliest, funniest accounts of uh, his time as a, you know, as a teenage boy hanging out with the beat with Ginsburg and Corso and Burroughs. And just, it's just fascinating. And it's, it's really worth, I, I highly recommend that, but blame it on Blake by Jacob Rabinowitz. Carolyn, what about you? What are some of the experiences you want to share? Uh, well, uh, a lot of the, the work that I'm uh, reading these days has to, you know, feeds back into my work. Um, so, you know, the Alice stories, uh, fairy tales in the original text. I had a, a book when I was a child, the Green Fairy Book, which is a wonderful volume. I think they're originally uh, printed in the late 1800s. And um, I, I have one of the editions. There's the Blue Fairy Book, the Red Fairy Book, and I have the last one that was written as the Green Fairy Book. And that my father actually gave me when, when I was a child. It's actually the only thing I have left of anything that he, uh, that he gave me. So that's near and dear to my heart. And it's one of those fairy tale books that really just takes you into these, these enchanted places. Um, because I have this longing for enchanted places, I, I love a good ghost story. Um, and so I'm a big Shirley Jackson fan. The Haunting of Hill House is one of my absolute favorite books. I just find that 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 first line, I actually have it here when she talks about the house. And she said, um, she said, Hill House, not sane, stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. It has stood for 80 years and might stand for 80 more. That when I that line just gives me goosebumps. Um, and so those kind of things also feed into a lot of my work, which is based on architecture and castles and sort of those dark shadowy spaces and what, what, what lies within. Um, another book that I had a lot of fun with was, it was Miss Peregrine's uh, Peculiar Children. And uh, it, the author is Ransom Riggs. He has two volumes and it was uh, true to my heart because he went to, um, I guess, flea markets and thrift stores and found all these crazy, crazy black and white photographs of things that you just don't even understand what you're looking at. And so much the way that Derek used my work for inspiration for his stories, um, this author did the same. And so the book, is they're beautiful little books and they have all the images um, reproduced. And the story that developed from these, um, really quite enchanting. Um, but the visuals are crazy. I mean, I have no idea. I don't know if he was at a circus. I don't know where he saw these things or found these things, but they are, they're crazy. Um, I just reread again, Love in the Time of, of Cholera, which just, I love that book. I just can fall in that in pages. Um, the Alchemist um, by Paulo 
C O E L H O. Wonderful book. Um, and uh, right now, I'm currently reading Fresh Water for Flowers by Valerie Perrin. And it is set, uh, this woman is a cemetery caretaker uh, in France. And be, the level of enchantment in this book is it's, it's that world between the living and the dead. And so she's walking through the cemetery, coming to terms with her past and going into her future and what she wants for herself. She'll uh, read off the names on the stones and the dates they lived. And so you get this real feeling of the above world and the underground. And it's just a beautiful book. I'm halfway through and I don't want it to end. So I'm reading it very, very slowly. Uh, but uh, it's called uh, Fresh Water for Flowers by Valerie Perrin. And it is a beautiful, beautiful tale. Very good. Okay. Well, before we go, do you want to tell everybody where we can go out and buy the remarkable villages and tell us where we can find you both online? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, animalheartpress.com is the site where the book can be ordered. Um, Carolyn and I both have Instagram presences and websites. My website is derekowens.net, D-E-R-E-K-O-W-E-N-S.net. You can also put in dot art that works as well. And Caroline? And I'm uh, carolinegolden.com. Uh, it's Caroline, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E. Golden is G-O-L-D-E-N. Uh, and I also am on Instagram at CG Collage. Fantastic. I really urge everyone to go out and buy The Villages because it's just such a great collaboration. I think the art and the and the writing just go so well together and it's just the kind of book that I'm going to be buying multiple copies of to pass around to people I think it's just such a great it's such a great book as as a piece of art and an object I love it so well done for both of you thank, thank you, you so much Ben yeah. well thanks yeah. so much for coming on thanks for chatting and um talk to you all soon yeah, thank you very much. This was a, a pleasure. This this was this was a lot of fun. Thank Excellent. you again. My dog, my dog is saying goodbye as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks once again to Caroline and Derek. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Beyond Zero Pod, and you can email us at beyondthezeropod at gmail.com. We'll be back for your next episode next week.